Welcome to the workshop, Wearing the Disease. My name is Jennifer, and I'm from Taurus, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jennifer. And the moderator and speaker for this meeting. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. I think mine's off. Uh, and the workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own opinion and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, an ask-a-basket, when we find the ask-a-basket, uh, questions and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencils will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have of the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for or if it's for either. And the reading is from OA's 12 and 12, page 10, and I will read it to you. Those of us who were overweight got plenty of advice from others about how to get our get to our own ideal size, but nothing permanently solved our problem. We found that no matter what we did to ease our turmoil, our compulsive eating eventually returned. Over the long haul, our weight went up and our self-esteem went down. After a while, we became battery-weary and discouraged. Still, we could never accept our powerlessness. The prospect of being obese sick and out of control for the rest of our lives led some of us to conclude that life was simply not worth living. Many of us thought about suicide. Some of us tried it. Most of us, however, never reached suicidal desperation. Instead, we took comfort in feeling that everything was all right as long as we got enough to eat. The only trouble was that our compulsive eating progressed, was that our our compulsive overeating progressed, it became harder for us to get enough. Instead of bringing comfort, the overeating backfired. The more we ate, the more we suffered. Yet we continued to overeat. Our true insanity could be seen in the fact that we kept right on trying to find comfort in excess food long after it began to cause us misery. And I will now speak for 20 to 25 minutes. Again, my name is Jennifer, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And very happy to be part of this uh, 100-pounder emphasis uh, meeting uh, workshop for Region 2. Region 2, I think, is, is just so exciting to be here. So I'll tell you briefly a little bit about my story. I am a 100-pounder. I have gained and lost gazillions of pounds, but I have gained and lost 100 pounds three separate times in my life. Blow up a balloon and deflate it. And blow it up again and deflate it. And blow it up again and deflate it. You know what happens to that balloon. I mean, this is the thick puppy dog you're looking at. And, and why I did this, I have no idea. So I'll tell you a little bit about the background. I know uh, last night John was talking about what it's like to be a fat kid. And that's kind of my story. I started gaining weight. The best recollection I have, it was about, I was about five years old. Probably long before that. But I can remember, I, I decided one year to become part of a high school reunion committee. I don't know why I decided to do that, because I hated high I mean, high school was not a big deal, but this was, actually, excuse me, it wasn't a high school reunion. Everybody in our class was turning 50. And I thought, oh, you know, by the time you're 50, you should be able to go back and see your high school people, and who cares, right? <laughs> so, somehow I volunteered, and I was going to be on the decorating committee. And I go, okay, so, you know, I'm thinking of table center pieces and what have you. And so uh, what the chairperson for the decorations like this was some huge, big task. 
and I'm thinking, they're decorations for heaven's sakes. But anyway, she decided she thought it would be great if everybody had pictures of the junior high, you know, or elementary school. I was born and raised in Glendale, so I haven't gone too far from to Ontario. In the grammar school system in Glendale Unified, in the fall, you'd have little headshots. And then in the spring, everybody would have a group picture. And all the girls would sit on these bleachers, and you all cross their legs the same direction because you all wore dresses back then. Anyway, my first thought was, who's got these pictures? <laughs> it was amazing. A lot of people hung on to their elementary school, their parents anyway. There was enough class pictures of every single grade of every elementary school and junior high that fed into Glendale High's graduating class of 1964. And here I am in Mrs. Higginbotham's kindergarten class. That's really her name. Isn't that a great name, Mrs. Higginbotham? Anyway, at Glendale, Glendale Elementary, headshot, little pigtails, normal little girl. That spring, I was this fat kid. I don't know what happened during that year to make me gain the weight. I still don't know. But along those same lines, the same first recollection I ever had of being overweight was, again, in Mrs. Higginbotham's kindergarten class, they did the PTA or something, decided to do the hula. Everybody was going to do the hula. It was a Hawaiian thing. And all I can remember is the little grass skirts that they made out of crepe paper for the girls didn't fit around me and I had to have two staples together. That was my first recollection. Fast forward through my life because I'll do that really fast. The fat kid, I mean, all of us that are 100 pounders, I shouldn't say all of us, many of us found that we were the fat child. You know, today it, it I think would be much more accepted because it's not so unusual, which is a really, really sad commentary on where the world's at. But if you look at most, there's so much obesity in children, I was the odd one out. I was the I was the only fat kid. Nowadays, there's probably a whole lot more, and so I'm sure kids are still really, really, you know, um, difficult to or brutal to each other. But you know, maybe not as bad as it was when I was growing up. Anyway, all through school, diet, try to do this, did the metrical, all that kind of crap. Nothing seemed to work. Fast forward through my life, through college, still with the weight, always to the hundred pounder, and I was rooming with my very, very best friend. This was in 1963, if you can go back that far. And we were, went to Cal, we were Valley State, it's called Cal State Northridge now, and we were rooming together. I came home and there was a bride magazine on the, on the coffee table. I thought, oh crap. Now Dorothy and Stan had been going together all through high school. I knew they were going to get married, but all I could think about, because of course we're all self-centered, was she's going to want me to be in her wedding and here I'm going to, what am I going to do? So before she had a chance to say anything to me like, can you lose some weight, I decided I would go to Weight Watchers. Now, I'm going to talk about Weight Watchers only because it's a huge part of my story. And I want to preface this by saying I still to this day think that when I'm, this is absolutely no testimonial or no, well, what am I trying to say? I'm not trying to endorse Weight Watchers at all, but I still think it's a very good, normal food plan without any kind of drugs and what have you. But it's a big part of my story. So rather than skirt over it and say a diet club, it's Weight Watchers. Okay. This is back in 19... Weight Watchers started in 1964 in New York. 
we were in college, and I graduated in 69, so in six, it had come to the West Coast only like five years. So any of you really long timers out there, if you remember, Weight Watchers, back in the very beginning, had a very, probably much like the gray sheet that we hear about in, in OA program. And basically, you made cauliflower into everything. You made cauliflower into these candy. You made cauliflower into pie. <laughs> and, I, and I bought into it. I tried every freaking recipe they had, and I was perfect on that program. And I lost my 100 pounds. And for the first time in my life, I was normal. I was also, what, 23, 24? So my emotional age was, they say, was the first time you lose your weight. I was probably about three. But my actual age was 23. And here I am, all of a sudden, a normal person. And one of the guys that I had um, gone to school with in Glenwood College, I went there before Cal State, we were eating buddies, and we were in the drama class together, and we were just good friends. And the whole time, because I am a crusader rabbit now for Weight Watchers, I will tell anybody that's got two ounces to lose well, how wonderful Weight Watchers is. And so I'm sitting here, I, I, I'm thinking the whole time I'm losing my weight. And mind you, I mean, you hear about people with string bean accidents, you know. That was me. I never deviated from that program. I mean, it was my salvation. And so the whole time I'm thinking about Weight Watchers, or the, losing the weight, I'm thinking of, gee, I wonder where Mike Pogue is today. I'd sure like to see him and tell him how wonderful this program is. Fast forward about a year, Weight Watchers decided to have a... Um, Century Club, because by this time, Weight Watchers had been in greater Los Angeles enough years for people to have had enough people to lose 100 pounds, because if you follow that program, especially back then, I mean, it was very black and white, and you, you know, you'd lose weight, whether you wanted to or not, if you followed it, you would lose weight, and they decided to have what they call a century meeting, so I'd get all dressed up, and in those days, you had the little cascade hairs and the mini skirts. And I go sashay into this meeting, and there is Mike Pogue, 100 pounds less of him across the room. And it was sort of like the Disney cartoons, you know, with the bubble in the heart. <laughs> and, oh. So, of course, we started dating, and we, came to, we became the big Weight Watcher couple. And then we, we had this big, humongous, not a big wedding, we had a pretty good-sized wedding. And they did fat photographers, and they did articles on it. And, oh, my God, it's enough to gag a maggot. Oh, Jesus, okay. <laughs> I the bottom line is, I, I, we had no, I, no reason we should have ever gotten married. Weight Watchers, it is what it is. So marriage dissolves in about eight years, and I gained back all my weight. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go back to Weight Watchers again because it's the only thing I know. I go back to Weight Watchers. This time I'm 95% on the program. could never understand why somebody wouldn't be 100% on it. And... Uh, Realize it's a little harder this time, praying that when I walk in the rooms, there will be nobody that I will see. And I know we can all identify with that one. Walk in, and there was my wear. Oh, man. Who? Okay. Hi, Colleen. How are you? Oh, Jenny, how nice to see you. And I, it was, I mean, it took every ounce of strength I had not to do a 180 walk out that door. But I lost 100 pounds the second time. Stayed off for about 15 minutes. Only in a OA meeting, and only especially in a 100-pounder meeting, can I say, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it went back on. I didn't go out and say, okay, I've now reached my goal. I'm going to eat, eat my way back up 100 pounds. Oh, will I have a little more time? 
I'm no time. Don't pay attention to you. Okay. I'll slow down then. <laughs> I saw the five minutes. I'm going, oh, make it. I went to the meditation thing this morning. It was so cool. Okay. Anyway. So, I got the weight out and I came right back on again. And, you know, it's, this is a cunning, baffling, and sick disease. Michael, I would mention, has died about six years ago of this disease. Tipping the scale probably about 600 pounds. When he was 50, we had a long divorce. We, we were gone, we divorced for about 20 years. Then I get a call. And we, we didn't have children, and so we would, you know, talk to each other. He's actually the one that got me into OA. Kenny knows him. Um, some of the people that have been around knew who he was, and he was the one that got me into OA. I've been abstaining for 18 years, so, so that was a while back. And, uh, you know, he, I got a call. We, because we didn't have kids, we didn't really have a need to be connected a lot. So we'd, you know, call each other on their birthday, that kind of thing. I get a call on his 50th birthday from a friend saying Mike's in the hospital. And I'm going, oh, yeah, 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 you got a lot of weird friends. Because no, he seriously is. So I went to visit him, and he never got out of bed for the next seven years. And finally died of this disease. So this, you know, we laugh. We're not a glum lot. We like to have fun, but this is a silent killer. I mean, and and we need periodically, and John mentioned it last night, to bring it back to how serious this disease is. So I didn't think I had it in in me to lose 100 pounds again. And I kept going to meetings, and I, and I never stopped going to meetings, and I was always abstinent. And, and this is just my opinion. And a lot of people can say, you know, I'm full of shit, but, you know, everybody has their own opinion. I think you can be abstinent and gain weight in Overeaters Anonymous. You're not compulsively overeating. You're just not on a losing abstinence. Now, there's a difference between compulsively overeating and being on a losing abstinence versus just being abstinent and not compulsively overeating. So I thought, I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's in me to lose it again. And I kept praying for the willingness, you know, and I knew that I was eating extremely healthy, but more than what my old, you know, John, I think, was talking about having hummingbird metabolism, or I had, a, like, a sloth metabolism. <laughs> and, you know, no matter how little I ate, I, you know, I wasn't making a lot of progress. And from one week to the next, I was willing to put the fork down more. Lost 100 pounds again. And I've slowly put on about 40 of those 100 pounds. And that just sucks. I can't tell you how much that sucks and how annoying it is. And, and I'm not going to stand up here and say this is, got absent right away, lost my 100 pounds, life's been great, I've been a size 2 for, you know, no. And you can really count on one hand the number of people in, the, in this program that's happened to. Because it is a difficult disease to get your head wrapped around especially for a sloth that does not like to move. You know, I try and exercise, but I don't, you know, I go to curves, but I really, you know, don't break a sweat. And I'm, you know, duh, that's not going to do a whole lot, but I'm telling myself, well, at least you're moving a little bit. So where I am today is my life has changed so much, only because I think if the whole world was on a 12-step program, wouldn't this be a nice place, a nice world to live in? You know, and I work the steps. I get up and read every day. I write in my journal every morning. I read what I wrote last year in my journal. I've been doing that for about 16 years. Very interesting to 
to see what's happened, and, you know, and sometimes I'll even write in my journal. Next year at this time, when I write in my journal, let's see where we're at. And sometimes I'm exactly the same place. And sometimes a lot of things have changed. I have a higher power that I talk to on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute minute basis. Sits on my shoulder, thank you, God. You know, he's got a great sense of humor. It is a program where, you know, if you just follow the steps, follow the principles. You know, we don't hear about the principles a whole lot in Overeaters and Arms, at least the means I've been going to. And there is a principle for every step. I think uh, somebody was saying in Hawaii, they do that, right? Um, we don't, at least the means I've been going to. And so I'll, I'll just go through them real, real fast, just so we can put them in your mind for the rest of the uh, of the workshop. Honesty is step one. Hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, self-discipline for their eighth step. The ninth steps principle is love. Don't you just love that? I try not to ever lie. We were talking, you know, talking about before the me before starting. If I don't lie and if I'm not mean to somebody, I'm never going to have to make another amends the rest of my life. In a perfect world, but that doesn't mean that necessarily the way we do a self-discipline, love, um, perseverance, spiritual awareness, and service. Service is service is you coming to the R2 convention. Some of you live in this area. Some of you got on a plane and came. You know, and we're we're so grateful to be able to be in Southern California where we have lots of meetings, where we have lots of guidance, where we have lots of long time recovery. My home meeting is Thursday night in Westchester, it's a hundred pounder meeting. And when we do a kind of a countdown when everybody's there, we probably have six or seven people that have over twenty years. And that's a lot, just in one little meeting. And and a lot of recovery. Um, so a little bit I want to talk about uh, wearing the disease. So here I am, you know, I've gained the 40, 40, 45. It's probably closer to 47 by now, but I've been a little good this weekend. And that's only from eating an extra rice cake or maybe eating a bigger piece of fruit. It's not eating pies, cakes, all of that stuff. My first year in, the first year I was in program, as a 100-pounder, I became abstinent. Three meals a day, nothing in between. Did that for nine months. Nothing happened. I didn't gain any weight, but I didn't lose any weight. So I thought, okay, I'll try this. I heard people in these rooms don't eat sugar. Okay, so three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar. Did that for seven years, lost seven pounds. Can I tell you, as a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder, how mildly annoying that was? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? You do something that just shows you, you know, my meals. <laughs> it shows you my met metabolism and obviously eating too much for what my body needs. Um, and that's that's what this disease is. It is not easy to get the weight off and keep it off. Those are those that have done it. My heart goes out to them. Those that have done it, and I I, I think it's great. But 100 pounders. Our topic is wearing the disease. You know, and that's a you know, you can be the biggest asshole in the world, but if you're thin, nobody knows you're a big asshole. Until you do, excuse me, I guess this is being taken, well, unless you're doing something really assholey. 
you know, we're alcoholics, they can kill people and what have you, but here we are, you know, and immediately, and it's so interesting because for the, when you lose the weight, and especially I remember this the first time, round one, I thought the whole world was just waiting for me. I thought that the world was at, I mean, that was always my problem because I was 100 pounds overweight. When in fact, if you lose 100 pounds, it's like everybody else. <laughs> so what you don't have are people staring at doing the double takes or the, gee, I'll buy you a car if you lose weight or gee, you have such a pretty face if only you lose weight, you don't get any of that crap anymore. But basically, you're just like everybody else. And we think it should be so much more because we work so hard and it's such an accomplishment. And it's very difficult for many hundred pounders to lose the weight and keep it off for that one reason alone. Because then now we have to compete just like everybody else out there. And we haven't learned those skills. A great place to learn how to compete and learn those skills are in these rooms. And that's, and that's what I have learned. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm kind of we're talking about wearing the disease and it is, you know, it's so sad and it's, it is what it is. You know, and I, my father died when I was three and so I never thought much about that. I have a wonderful mother who was so loving and raised my sister and I and I, we never, I don't have any mother issues at all. She's, she'll be 88 this year. She's a great lady. Um, and I never thought, oh, maybe I could trace this back to my father dying. And no, 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 no. I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater because I'm a compulsive overeater, and I just think, I'm just wired to think about food. My sister used to make scrapbooks when she was a little kid of ballerinas and princesses, and I would make scrapbooks of hot fudge sundaes. So I did. Everything I talk about has a reference to food. If I'm giving you directions, just buy the pie shop around the corner for 31 flavors. I don't know why. I didn't ask for this. That's just how I'm wired. And, you know, the sooner we can learn that that's who we are and become accepting, accepting of ourselves, I think the better that we will be. How much more time do I have? I think I'm rattling forever. Five more minutes. Okay. Uh, wearing the disease. Okay, I'm 62 years old. You know, and... I'm big, you know, you would think anybody that had gained and lost 300 pounds would have all kinds of health, health issues. Never, I shouldn't say this, I don't want to jinx myself. Never been in a hospital, full, all body parts fully intact, but starting to feel the aches and pains in the knees, the hips, the back, the walking upstairs, the walking more, and I'm going, mmm. You know, because I could weigh 100 pounds more or 100 pounds less and feel exactly the same and have exactly the same mobility. But the older you get, you know, I'm starting to feel the worrying of the disease. And so I, and I know what I need to do. I need to get these pounds off for my hips and for my knees. And it's, to, you know, it's the willingness to eat that smaller piece of fruit. I mean, I'm not talking about a piece of fruit being a watermelon. I'm talking a piece of fruit being a big apple versus a small apple. And then that's back to the kind of weighing and measuring and diet mentality that we all hate so much. And uh, beginning to understand that's what I need to do a little, tighten it up a little bit more, and that's no fun. But that's kind of the reality. I always think, God, I, mean, I can't imagine what it would be like. To, I, I'm not an alcoholic at all. It does not run in our family. 
We just don't have the genes. We have one drink, we have excess varieties, we've got lampshades on our head, and we're thrown up. But I'm trying to think, okay, how about that alcoholic that has to have that drink, has to have that drink at 10 o'clock in the morning? I can't identify that with that. Any more than that alcoholic maybe can identify, I want to have not three-quarters of a cup of cereal, I want to have a box of cereal. It's exactly the same thing. You know, and it's just, again, getting into acceptance. In our, we did the meditation this morning, and only for Chris, who is a good friend of mine, and would I get up at 7 o'clock for meditation, but I did it, and it was so wonderful that we were kind of meditating at the end of the, of the exercise on acceptance. And acceptance is the answer to everything. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. So for some reason, God wanted me to gain and lose 100 pounds three times. I think that's a mistake, but I'm not God. So that, you know, that's my path. We all have our path. The path that brought you to R2, that brought you out to Ontario when it's 100 degrees outside, to bring you into these rooms, to bring you into these workshops, is to get us whole, to give us some guidelines to do life. In the last 18 years, I can't tell you how much more calm I am, how much more honest I am, how much more loving I am and compassionate and willing and all the things that come with living the, the steps. And I run up and down the steps all the time. And sometimes I don't do it well, certainly don't do it perfectly but I'm so grateful to be here. I'm grateful for every one of you sitting in this room this morning. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm also the moderator. Let me think where I am. Okay. Our second speaker is Jeannie from South Pasadena, who will speak for 20 to 25 minutes. And Hello, my name is Jeannie. I'm a child of God and a grateful compulsive overeater. Hi, Jeannie. Thanks for asking me in the show, Jennifer. I was so excited. You know, um, a couple of months ago, God, I'm going to tell this story. A couple of months ago, I was 22 years in 150-pound weight loss. I have been so excited about coming to this convention for like a year now. And a couple of months ago, I copped an attitude. I'm thinking to myself, nobody asked me to do jack. Nobody asked me to share. You know, I've had 22 years. Why are people asking me, 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 me? And um, about three weeks ago, it occurred to me I had had not registered and nobody knew where the hell I was. <laughs> and I sit in my registration within a couple of days. Jen calls me. Um, there is a Hawaiian spiritual principle that I live by um, from Huna, and it's called Ike. The world is what you think it is. And um, and that was as much in my disease as it is in my recovery. Um, my roommate, I'm staying at the hotel, my roommate this morning asked me what my maiden name was. My name, maiden name was Casas. And in Spanish that means houses. And I cannot tell you how endearing it is to be a fat child on the playground when someone's yelling, hey, houses! and uh, making fun of you for being so big. And I didn't get fat until I was about eight years old. Um, and I come from an alcoholic compulsive overeating family, and so it was just kind of like natural. I was born into it. My legacy. My legacy. Um, 
It's funny because my family, as much as I've changed in the last 22 years, really have no inkling that, like, I'm in this program. It's an odd thing to me. I was at the airport last year, and I saw Ida and, Ida and John were in, in front of me in line. And we were talking and stuff, and afterwards, I was with my sister, and afterwards, my sister says, where do you know those people from? I go, from Alvarez Anonymous. You know that thing I've been going to for 22 years? She goes, oh, oh. And she certainly could use the program, so maybe that was a little window. I don't know. Um, I'm not one that, I, I was never one of those compulsive overeaters that yo-yoed. You know, up and down, up and down, up and down. I just ate. It was my comfort. It was my comfort. And um, in a household where money was tight, I sold food out of my own refrigerator when my parents weren't looking. I think my brothers and sisters must have, too, because every once in a while my mother would go crazy, like, what happened to all the grapes? And, um, or what happened to this? And um, when I started eating, I got fat quite quickly. And I was fat. Well, I was fat until I got here 22 years ago. This is my third time around the program. Now, I'm not an easy sell. I'm kind of like the woman from Missouri. You have to show me. And probably, probably the thing I had the most problem with was developing a relationship with a God of my understanding. Um, the first time I came in, um, my best friend's ex-husband was in the program, and he's one of these rah-rah people, and he was like Eskimo. Oh, come to a meeting, come to a meeting, and and um, and I did, and. And I went to this huge meeting on Sunday night in Alhambra, and um, some of you were there, and now I see you. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I was lost in that big room, people. I come from a small family where you don't ask you don't ask people outside of your circle, outside of your family for help. You don't ask people outside of your family for help. And I went to a couple. Of, this amuses me. I said this yesterday. I went to a couple of meetings and. Um, in the afternoon, and there were women like me, like my age, like middle, I was 21, middle-aged women <laughs> sitting around Sherry, and I could not identify with the damn thing you, I said. And, uh, <laughs> and I went to a couple meetings and left. My second time around was a few years later, and I um, lost 100 pounds, yay. Found a man, yay. Sex was now the answer to all my problems. <laughs> And left. I got here pretty surrendered about 22 years ago. Um, it's almost 23 years. It'll be 23 years in August. And I was clean out. Um, I have a slothful personality. I always have like three bedroom places where you can have like um, a junk room where you can just throw everything in. And I was <laughs> someone identified. I was cleaning out this room on a Friday night, and I came across a meeting schedule for the Pasadena area, and um, my thought was, oh, those people, they appear to be happy. Maybe I should go see them. Um, and I started coming back to meetings. From the very beginning of coming back to meetings, it's um, God has graciously led my way. Um, I've been coming back to meetings um, two or three weeks. I was going to this huge meeting on Friday night. There were like 300 people in an auditorium, and it was party time. It was a celebration of the program. People were happy and smiling. And um, and I, I had a phone call um, on a Wednesday night, about three weeks into this journey, and my cousin who was with me the second time around this meeting, she says, oh, are you absent? And I said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that without, like, a sponsor. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. 
because um, I, I knew at that time that it wasn't a diet club. And um, knowing damn well that there was no way I could ask anyone for help. Two days later, I went to that Friday night meeting, and at the break, in the this little five-foot lady from um, the San Gabriel Valley came up to me, and she says, you look like you could do some help. Would you like me to be your sponsor? And it was my first inkling that there was something greater than myself operating in the universe. And it was um, my first inkling that not only was there something greater than myself operating in the universe, that it had my best interest at heart. Because being over 400 pounds and eating myself to death was not my best interest. It was my way, but it was not my best interest. And not only that, I had a bad attitude. I was pretty pissed off. You know, I was, there's, um, you know, it's in the first edition. I don't know what it is in the new edition. But in the big book, there's, um, it's on 552. It talks about the disease and how that professionals may say that I may have been conditioned for this disease by the circumstances I grew up in. But ultimately, it was my reaction to those circumstances and my attitude toward life that then makes me who I am today. And I really believe that. And that, that is my salvation. As much as it was my demise when I was full-blown in the disease, that today is my salvation. And um, so I, I came in, I sat in the back of these rooms, and I'm like, I'm like refrigerator radar. I'm six foot one. And I was like over 400 pounds, and I'm like, hmm. And, um, and I sat in the back, and I either had a scowl, or even worse, a pissed off look, or even worse, I sat back there and I cried. I was just in so much pain. I was oozing, oozing. And I really identified when John, what John talked about with his, um, about his friend Jim, who died in the fire, because, man, I was on my way to being that 800-pound woman who they had to quite cut the roof off the house and helicopter her out, her body out, because that's where I was headed. That's where I was headed towards 500 pounds when I got here. That's where I was. Um, so so I, I got this lady and she was my sponsor. And I, you know, the thing that happens to me is that once I see like a little window of light, I change. And I was um, very much a nighttime eater. And, um, and I always had dinner after the meeting to make sure that, you know, I wasn't going to die before morning came. I don't know how you're like, I'm going to die of starvation when you weigh over 100 pounds by the, in eight hours. But that was my thinking at the time. And um, and I went to go pick up my pastrami sandwich and my french fries for dinner after the meeting. And um, I only hit the like half. Not even. And I knew something fundamentally had changed inside of me. Um, this wonderful woman put me on a food plan. Um, and uh, I lost a lot of weight there for sure. I lost almost 100 pounds. And um, and it was gray sheet and, you know, it was a way to measure food and salads and no fruit and protein. And, and um, it was what it was. I, I don't live that way anymore. Um, but it was what it was and it was what I needed. I needed a detox. I have a friend in program. Okay, I'll give her credit. Um, my friend Cindy says when she came into to program, you know, that she heard people say, oh, they're brainwashing you, they're brainwashing you. You know, and she says, you know, there are some minds that need a good scrubbing. And, uh, and uh, 
you know, that was true of me. Not only did my mind need scrubbing, my body needed detoxing, much like a drug addict getting off of heroin. I needed the detoxing. No flour, no white sugar, three meals a day, whatever. My food is very different today. I'm a diabetic. Unfortunately, um, this disease, it doesn't matter whether you've lost 150 pounds, you know. My body developed diabetes um, late in life, like about four years ago, and that's who I am. And I eat five or six times a day and um, have a food plan that's very different from other people um, in the program. And I know some people can only eat, you know, a certain amount of times or whatever. But that's what I have to do, you know, and I make no bones about it. That's my plan of eating. Um, and what's really interesting since I've been more, there was like some shame in doing that. Oh, these doctors don't understand. The nutritionist doesn't understand. I'm a compulsive eater. What do you mean I have to eat six times a day? What do you mean I have to eat at 10 o'clock? What do you mean? You don't understand. The truth of the matter is that the minute I went on that food plan, I started to lose weight again. Started to lose weight again. Because really, that's what my body needed and they did know. You know, they did, the physicians did know how diabetes works, but my body was doing far better than I knew. Um, I'm going to talk about the second step because I'm going to talk about the second third step and then I'll probably be dead. Um, this was not an easy thing for me. I grew up in the Catholic church. I was a Catholic girl, school girl. Um, I bought into a, a whole culture of guilt. And I think it was more about my family, actually, than about Catholicism um, because that's what my mom grew up on. And... Um, and I was actually even teaching in high school catechism, you know, in Sunday school. And I was helping. I was one day I can remember after Sunday school, after asking preach a myriad of questions. I was about 16, and he looked at me after he answered many of them. About the eighth one, he looks at me and he goes, "It requires faith." I said, "Excuse me." He goes, "What I'm hearing from you is doubt. It requires faith." to believe in God. And uh, I never went back. I didn't have it. Didn't have it. Didn't have the faith. I really thought I had been born into this family where I was like always being picked on, always the one less loved, always, always, always about me, me, me. And it was about me and my mentality. These people are the same people they are today because they don't have a program that I had when I was growing up. And those lovely people. I went on vacation with them to Cancun last year. My my sister, who for most of our lives, you know, I fought with and called her bitch and we were angry at each other, and my brother and, and my mom and stepdad. They had a lively time on vacation in Cancun, and that can't be anything but about this program and how it's changed my relationships with people. You know, how it's changed my relationships with people. Um, so it was about faith. So... Um, my second, no, actually my third sponsor was a lovely, lovely lady. I'm gentle. I needed someone gentle. And, um, and her name was Joy, and she moved up north, and you know, I really miss her down here. She was my sponsor for a number of years. And um, I was meditating one day. I don't know how this happened, except that they tell us to meditate. I was praying and meditating one day, and all of a sudden into my meditation came Jesus. And I said, what are you doing here? That's exactly what I said to Jesus. <laughs> and he said, ask me into your heart. I said, what? Ask me into your heart. I said, okay, please, like, 
It can't hurt to have him on your side, right? So I, so I asked him to my heart, and I called my sponsor, and she, I had not, not a clue. She says, that's in the Bible, Jesus, asking, asking into his heart. Did you know that? That's like a scripture, Jeannie. I said, I have no idea. And um, so I started to have healed that relationship that I had growing up and not having faith. And I'm not a Catholic, certainly, but I'm um, starting to heal that relationship because certainly there's some, whether you believe or don't believe, um, there's some powers to me in my belief that um, things Jesus can help me with that I can't help myself with. Um, and, um, and it's so bizarre to me because even for a while I was going to like a born-again Christian church, but that wasn't the kind of Jesus person I was. I'm much more spiritual like the program of Aurelius Anonymous, much more metaphysical Christian. So... I work with that. But that was an amazing thing. Why would somebody come to help me? Again, why would somebody come to help me? Somebody come to help me. Um, and then the third step. Uh, this is, this, 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 God has given me, and when I used to pray to be shown God's will, I used to say, please make it as clear as a Hollywood sign because my head was so fogged up. Please, show me your will. Make it as clear as a Hollywood sign. And my higher power would accommodate me. That was like an amazing thing to me. Um, I was about my third year in the program, and um, a friend of mine asked me to go to New York City. And um, she's in she's in radio, and her our, you know her boss is going to pay for the room, and I just need to get my airplane fare, and you know, and I've always wanted to go to New York City. This was like 20 years ago, and. Um, so I said, I, I talked to my husband. It was, it was like November. I'm a tax accountant. You have to ask me anything in April, I'll go to Paris with you. I have lots of money. But in November, I'm waiting for January, right? So I talked to my husband. I got off the phone and talked to my husband. I said, oh, let her know. And a friend of mine gave me $300 for the trip. I went. I went. Um, and I called her up and I said, I want to go. And she says, okay. She calls me back about a week later and her boss is doing this song and dance. He doesn't know what he's going to cover. And, you know, I said, well, I'll have to think about it then. And I did the same thing. I talked to my sponsor, I talked to my therapist, I talked to whatever, I processed, yeah, da, 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 da. Um, and I finally, um, and then one morning I woke up a couple of days later, and my God voice woke up before I did and said to me, you have to call her and tell her that you might not be able to afford it. That is the worst thing a poor girl from East L.A. could fathom saying to anyone, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And I, before, like, he was even finished with his sentence, I was on my knees, like, pounding the bed saying, you can't make me, no, no, you can't make me, I can't be that honest. Um, it's been my experience in this program that if you get, like, clear as a Hollywood sign from your higher power, follow directions. It's just the easier, softer way. It just is. So I called my friend, and I said to her, you know, if you can't cover the room, and we're staying at, you know, like, Hemsley Park on the Century, on Central Park, you know, we're not staying in some cheap motel. I said, out of here, bus can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I may not be able to afford this. And this is what she said. She goes, I don't know, Jeannie, if I could, she's like making three or four times what I make. I don't know if I could afford it. I know it's going to go on with him. Let me let you know. And she was very kind about it. I didn't expect that. What a blessing. 
And so she calls me back and she said, oh, yeah, he was going to cover the room. Don't worry about it, blah, blah. I said, okay, I'm going. Now, I think the hard part is over. Because during this whole time, I'm having this, you know, that tummy sense of anxiety and fear. No matter what I do, no matter how prayers I have, no matter how much I ask for guidance, no matter what decision I make, that little thing is in my tummy. And when that little thing is in my tummy, my little brain goes, eat, 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 eat. And I wasn't eating. Uh, I was doing what I needed to do. Um, so we get on a plane. We get to New York. I still have this feeling. And now I'm going, God. My first are now, God. What's going on? This financial stuff's been covered. Wasn't that the fearful stuff? What's going on? And I got it um, in the morning, my first morning there, and I've got my big book. And, and the friends I want, well, were, they, they had their own spiritual discipline, so they understood, like, me having to do my stuff. And I did my prayers, and I got on my knees, and I went, God, this feeling's not going away. What's going on? What's going on? I want to enjoy my time in New York. It's my first time in New York. Let's have fun. That little thing in my stomach. We went to that first Sunday, that first day we were there was Sunday, we went to Church of St. Patrick's and I, I lit some candles for my grandmother because she was a devout Catholic. And, um, and that thing's going on all day and I'm praying all day and I'm turning it over and my God, I was exhausted. We went to, um, forget the name of the place, it's in Central Park, it's a very famous restaurant, Tavern on the Green, for dinner that night. And it's about Christmas time and it's beautiful, all the crystals and the chandeliers are green and red and it's beautiful and it's wonderful food and my friend had asked someone she knew in New York thank you to join us and um, her husband her fiance had uh, just died after many months of cancer and that was the dinner conversation so I'm in fairy tale land being surrounded by dread and grief I was not doing well I had the lamb and it wasn't sitting well on my stomach and um, I mentally left the conversation. I said, God, I do not know why you have me here. Make it clear, quickly, please. Because not only not ha- now that feeling is still in my stomach, but now I have dread on top of it. I said, if you just want me to continue to be gracious and listen to this woman and, you know, just be a comfort as best as I can, I'm willing to do that. But, Lord, what the hell am I doing here? And um, I talked to my God in very bitter, like, what? Um... So we were getting ready to leave after that little prayer, and I, I excused myself, and I said, I'm going to go to the ladies' room. So I'm like now 3,000 3, miles away from home, and I walk into the bathroom on Tavern of the Green, and this woman stops, looks at me, and she says, oh, my God, I need to talk to you. I said, excuse me? I didn't know who she was. Oh, my God, I need to talk to you. She goes, I saw you speak in a meeting in Glendale last year, and I need to talk to someone. So now I have a higher power who's like watching out for me. I have a power who can be infinite. And I cannot tell you how important to me that was to learn that my God is infinite. All-powerful and infinite. It changed my life. It heals my heart. It heals my soul and my mind followed. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on today because I already got the time in the time. I have the promises of the program. In the last four or five years, I have gotten, and please, if you're new, yeah, it took 17 years. Oh, well. You know, I could have been, it could have been 17 years and I could be 800 pounds and unhappy. But it took what it took. I am happy, joyous, and free. 
I went from a child of misery in 17 years to happy, joyous, and free. I would not give it back for anything. And I'm not saying the bad stuff doesn't happen in my life. My fiancé died two years ago, you know, and it was sad. But about eight months after he died, I'm not going, oh, I'm alive. I better start, like, doing God's will here. I'm happy, joyous, and free. I'm the weight thing when you're a hundred pounder. Oh, I forgot to talk about wearing it. Oh, I look good, don't I? Okay. Um, uh, sure, I look a lot better than I did 22 years ago. Um, when I was a size 52 and now I'm an 18. Do you know what I mean? Just looks a lot better. Um, so that is, that is one of the miracles, and I'm very happy with my physical recovery. But the biggest miracle to me, and I'm sorry I'm not staying on topic again, is that my mind has changed. My attitude in life has changed. Changed, changed, changed dramatically. Like 180 degrees. And I ne- I, it's a miracle. I never thought it would happen. I never thought it would happen in my family. All my relationships, except one, and my sponsor and I have talked about this, I have to do this in my new inventory, have healed. Healed. I can create a phone call from anyone in my family, and it's not, ooh, they're calling, ooh, I don't want to talk to them, ooh, 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 I got to see them at a party, ooh, ooh, ooh. They're all healed. Including my mother, who's, you know, I love dearly, but it's a little out there sometimes. But I know that. I know it's about her. I know it's not about me anymore. Do you know what I mean? And so, I don't know. I just think I'm a freaking miracle. Thanks for listening. Okay, I see. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask a Basket. Okay, um, do we know what the Ask a Basket is? This one's blank. <laughs> okay. This is for Jeannie. How do you take care of yourself? Be your own best friend. Okay. Let's squash this right now. I am not my own best friend. And I do not take care of myself. I hear lots of cliches in the program, but some of them really best me. This one in particular. Did Jeannie stand up because I think they're recording? Oh, gosh. Well, this one really begs me in particular. I do not take care of myself. I rely on a higher power of my understanding to take care of me. Given my own devices, even in recovery 22 years, Tuesday I wanted to eat. I had a performance Tuesday night. I do stand-up comedy. I had a performance. I had to make two phone calls. I am not my best friend. Now, maybe that action of taking two phone calls you would consider taking my care of myself, I call it survival. For both. Okay. What was the biggest obstacle to losing the weight? What was the easiest thing to overcome? I'll stick on that one. The biggest obstacle was the six inches between my ears. It's still the biggest obstacle. Um, Let's see. I think, you know, the obstacle to losing the weight is doing... Staying on your food plan on the weekends as well as during the week. Staying on your food plan 
not not deviating. And let's see, what was the easiest thing to overcome? The easiest thing to overcome probably was the six inches between my head. You know, it is our mind that, you know, rules everything. And and if we can just get it to a good place where where you're not thinking you're deprived, not thinking that, you know, why me? Why was I born with this? Whiny, 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 whiny. I have no patience for whiners. Um, then I think then it's very easy. Some days you all know how easy. Somebody could offer you something and you would no more take it than fly to the moon and you don't even want it. And Twenty minutes later it could be just the opposite. And that's all that six inches. Okay, I like this one. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, if it's not in the book book, I don't really pay attention. That works for me. Um, how did you keep the weight off? How do you walk? How do you work through emotional difficulties without eating? Okay. Well, I talked about the example on Tuesday. Um, I had a performance Tuesday night. I'd never done improv with this particular group of people. And my feeling on the way home from work was eat, 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 eat. And I'm a mass quantity eater. My, my abstinence is I, I refrain from eating mass quantities of food. And I define that as like two pounds of food within two hours. And I don't eat donuts. So when I got this feeling, I thought, ooh, I better make some phone calls. And I really didn't mean to be um, flippant with that last um, question. But really... I don't take care of myself. I just like work the tools of the program to the best of my ability and those steps as well. Um, the emotions. So I made two phone calls. That's what I did without. Sometimes I write. Um, sometimes I get to a meeting. Sometimes I open my four to day. Sometimes I open my big book. I read literature. I use the tools. I use the tools. Um, also, um, I don't have so much problems with emotional, the emotions. I'm working, it's my head. It's the thinking. It's the thinking that really gets me because my mind will just go off and I'm like going. And what I, I remember one time being on a, stuck on a boat in a monsoon's rains on a river in Costa Rica, scared to death. And I said the serenity prayer for like two hours. You know, I just use those tools because my mind just goes more than mine. My, my, my mind will trigger emotions. You know, it, it just does. I could be thinking something and all of a sudden I'm broken hearted. And um, so I'm more cognizant of the mental part of this disease because that's what trips me up. How about gastric bypass or other weight loss surgeries? Good tool or not a great idea? You know, Overeaters Anonymous has no stand on that at all. Uh, gastric bypass death. For some of us, that's exactly what it is. And there are many people in Overeaters Anonymous, especially the 100-pounders that have gone that route and have lost their weight. And they are no, this is just my personal opinion, they are no different than somebody else who has lost the weight by having a food plan and being diligent at it. And, and nobody's better than the other. I, um, I've known many people, not many, I know some people who've had gastric bypass and gained all their weight back. Or haven't lost it. So it's not a safe, it's not a, it's extremely serious surgery. As is anything else, as any, you know, stapling your stomach and the lap band and all of this stuff. So, um, 
I, 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 my only feeling is I would caution anybody who is seriously thinking about it. I know, I think you have to have quite a bit of counseling and you have to prove that you've tried every other method before you have it. But if that's what needs to be done, then God bless you and, and, and more power to you. And for me? Oh, please for me. After a significant successful weight loss, what did you do to deal with the emotional pain that seems to surface after a big weight loss? Let me read that again. After a significant successful weight loss, what did you do to deal with the emotional pain that seems to surface after a big weight loss? Uh, I don't particularly think I felt emotional pain as much as I just thought I was so cool there just should be more. I should, everybody should bow down to me. If, you know, after everybody who has seen you, has seen you with the weight loss, you're not, nobody's going to say anything else to you. It's not like every time somebody, you see the same people and say, do you know Hershey just lost 100 pounds? You know, and it's such a monumental effort for those of us to do it. And, and it, it really, you're not going to get, you're not going to get those accolades outside of these rooms. And maybe, and then, then once again, then it's just personality. Uh, losing the weight is a healthy thing to, to live. I mean, it's, it's good for your health, period. doesn't make you a better person. I mean, think about it. People that have lost 100 pounds, how sick do they have to be to be 100 pounds overweight? That's, you know, it just drives me nuts when I see all of, you know, the biggest losers. I can't watch that show. Because... I mean, yeah, great that they're doing, you know, they're losing the weight, but what got them there in the first place? Are they a better person because they're the biggest loser than somebody else? I have a, I have a, they've lost two pounds. I have a sponsee. Why she, why she saw my experience, I still to this day don't understand why she asked me to be her sponsor, and I've sponsored her now for about 13 years. <laughs> Seriously. And her, 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 I'm going to kill myself if I get over 115 pounds. That's her top weight. Her bottom weight is, I think, 108 or 100, maybe 105. She's small. She's very, very petite, and she, she, you know, she's her cool weight is uh, is 110 pounds. I mean, I I weighed that in second grade. I don't know what she saw in me, but her 10 pounds, and she's just as nuts over food as I am. And so what makes the, the, the plus side for her is she doesn't show it. So, and, and so I, um, it, it is a number. It's who we are. And so, you know, I think we all spend way too much energy thinking about it. And especially living in California, you know, what can I tell you about that whole beautiful look? Is that for you? Time for one more. Yeah. Oh, it's for me too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. As an old timer, is it harder to ask for the help you need when you get when food gets tough? Not necessarily, because uh, I have a core friends in program. But what, what, what I'm going through right now, and, and I, I'm really at a crossroads, is my sponsor is not well, and I don't know how much longer she can be my. And she's been my sponsor for forever, and the idea of finding. And starting over with a new sponsor after 18 years dealing with working with the same person, I don't know where to go with that. I mean, now if, a sponsor, if somebody were to tell me what to do, I would say, 
go to more meetings and listen to somebody that has what you want, which is what we say when you go to your first meeting, but faced with the reality of it. Because uh, I thought, do I want a sponsor that's got more time than I do? And, you know, and by this time, you know everybody, and you're on more of a friendly level with them, so it's kind of a difficult thing. I mean, if anybody's got any suggestions, man, I'd be real, really love to hear about it after the meeting. Thanks. Okay, we're done with this. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Time up. We got... Okay. I've lost 130 pounds. Cool, whoever that is. Have many sponsors, uh, but haven't been able to lose the last 60 pounds. How do I get back to losing instead of maintaining? What do I say to say to myself? I feel stuck. Oh my gosh, that is a fabulous question. And isn't that a great question? I'll give it to you. What's your way is none of your business? There it is. I've seen the best of my ability every single day. My food plan changes if I need to lose some. And I do. I have 50 pounds left to lose. Now, I wasn't a 100-pounder when I got here. I was a 200-pounder. These, these are not easy, easy things. But really, what my, and I tell this to my sponsees who weigh 120 pounds who like whine about can I be 115. And I, t- and I say it so much. It's really none of your business. You have seen to the best of your ability today. Follow, use those 12 steps. Use the tools. Work those steps. I would imagine there was some, uh, there was a question a little earlier about um, how to emotionally deal with having to lose the weight. Sit and rest for a minute. Catch up with God. Let God catch up with you. It will come off. I started to lose the weight again this last year and a half. It will happen when it's ready to happen in God's time and not a minute sooner. Oh, huh? Uh, We will now have open sharing. We will have time for three shares. If you have already shared at another workshop, please give other... Well, this is the first workshop, so this is open to everybody. (laughs) Uh, Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share, which the tape release form is on the table right here. Yes, so... Who would like to share? Please, Lynn. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, I'm from Maui, and um, I've been um, abstinent and coming to OA for a little over two and a half years, and I'm down 130 pounds from my top weight. And uh, that was my question. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, um, this is. This has just been a great meeting, this last one for me. And, um, you know, my friend back in Maui, Kevin, who comes to these meetings most years, um, he's like, you know what you need? You need to get to that convention. You need to see people who are at their goal weight, who've been abstinent. And that's what's going to inspire you. So I come into the 100-pound meeting, and I'm like, well, I don't know if those ladies are at their goal weight. And, of course, my 
this is like chronic for me. No matter where I go, I'm sure I'm not going to get the most out of it. There's just that's just one of my character defects. I join something and there's I get put into the group. I'm looking around. I know I'm in the wrong group. It's just like it's just a defect of mine. But um, it's just been really uh, refreshing to hear both of you share and you know be proud of your abstinence. And since I've been you know, I've been basically like losing a half a pound a month for like the last seven months, eight months or so. And um, I'm also a Weight Watchers leader, so it's a little confusing. But anyway, I'm still doing it. I, I started being a leader before I came to OA, and there's a shortage on the island of Maui, so I, I look at it as my opportunity to bring OA to Weight Watchers and vice versa. So, um, but anyway, it's kind of like I've been debating not being a leader anymore because it's so weight-oriented, and, you know, I weigh in some, you know, 110 people a week and deal with the scale with them. I only weigh in once a month, and it's like I'm, I'm a salesperson for acceptance of your weight. That's what I do at the scale is I get people, I try to get people not to be upset about what they weigh no matter what they weigh, and yet here I am inside going, I'm only losing a half pound a month. I have four sponsees. You know, I'm supposed to lose the rest of the weight. I'm supposed to inspire people. I'm a Weight Watcher leader. Like, it's just, there's just so much going on. And it's another character defect to beat myself up. So it's just so good to hear, you know, I am abstaining. I haven't gained back the weight. That's a miracle for me. I've been, I was born in a Weight Watcher meeting. I mean, my mother was pregnant with me 43 years ago in Weight Watchers. I'm serious. When people come there and they're like, I don't know, they've never been to Weight Watchers before and they're over 10, I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, so anyway, to hear, to hear like, you know, it's, and I heard people talking about in my meeting, you know, weight gaining abstinence and weight, and I just thought, cop out, you know, and so anyway, and of course that's just my own stuff. So specifically hearing you, Jeannie, be so, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't think you need to change at all, you know, <laughs> so, and, um, you know, to just, I'm just standing up here to acknowledge the work that I've been doing for the last two and a half years to come this far. So thanks for listening. My name is Helen. I'm a compulsive overeater. I now live in Long Beach, California. I've been an Overeaters Anonymous for 33 years. I started OA in the San Gabriel Valley. One of my very first meetings was the Alhambra Sunday night meeting. And uh, I just want to say, I didn't know it was possible to be inspired by two women I've known for so long. You know, you think you've heard everything, and I... I don't know. I think uh, a convention brings out the best ideas people have. Um, but what I like about listening to 100-pounders is, you know, they were fat when they were young. And I don't care what anybody says. That is very different than people that got fat later. There's something you can never get back in your childhood when you're 100 pounds overweight as a child. There's something that never returns. There's something that's been taken from you. And you spend the rest of your life trying to grow up because you ate instead of dealing with pain and suffering and disappointment 
and I could really identify with Jennifer. I went to Weight Watchers when I was 16 and lost 100 pounds. And there I am down in this size whatever, and I'm thinking, what? This is all there is? I'm still part of this lousy family? <laughs> you know? Poor, no money, nothing to look forward to, a weed-filled backyard, you know? Parents that are screaming and yelling at each other. And it wasn't until I got to Overeaters Anonymous that I learned how full life could be and how much I had to look forward to and how I had so many wonderful role models. The people that were the age I am now, those middle-aged women, they helped me grow up. They finished parenting me. And I will be grateful for all of them. And I just want to thank you both again for sharing. You just did a wonderful job. Thank you. Hi, I'm Teresa. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I know I needed to share right now. Um, this is my first convention. Um, two weekends ago, I went to an OA retreat, and it was hell. I got in touch with my loneliness, my sadness, my isolation. I was miserable. Um, fortunately, I'm having a better time now. <laughs> um, I'm glad that I started off this morning with this 100-pounder meeting. Um, I don't want to be here. Um, someday I want to say that I'm happy to be here, but I'm not happy right now. Um, last night I couldn't sleep, and on TV there was an Oprah show at 2 in the morning about kids that were very, very much overweight, and she had this thing, you know, where they got together with their families and expressed their feelings and stuff. And... um What they talked about and what I feel and what I'm afraid to say right now is how, you know, they just wanted to kill themselves because they were so big. Um, and I'm afraid I'm just afraid to go home and still feel that way. And I'm sure I will. You know, those feelings aren't going to go away. Um, and uh, from what you shared earlier, I think what I've been... Tomorrow, um, hopefully I'll have 30 days abstinence. And from what you shared earlier, um, I think what I have is... Uh, it's not a losing abstinence, but it's abstinence. Anyway, I just needed to get up here and I just needed to 
speak and not run out of the room and not say anything and that's very important to me and I don't I don't know what I said I don't know if I've made any sense um, but I want to thank you for being here um, Thank you. 